Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Nevada McPherson. Nevada is a writer and artist. She joins us from her home in Georgia. Her novel Poser is coming out through Outcast on February the 15th. Welcome to the show, Nevada. Thank you, Ben. Happy New Year. It's great to be here. Happy New Year to you too. Tell me about your hometown of Milledgeville. Well, I'm originally from South Georgia, but I live in Milledgeville now. It's just, uh, it's about an hour or so away from Atlanta and it's near Athens, Georgia, if anybody knows where that is. Um, it's, it's kind of a small town, I guess, kind of a mid-sized town. There's, uh, Georgia colleges here and Georgia military college. And, um, it's the home of Flannery O'Connor. If anybody knows the author Flannery O'Connor, who's famous for short stories, um, a good man is hard to find and lots of other stories, but, um, her farm Andalusia is here. And, um, it was also once the place or it, it was the largest, uh, well, mental, mental hospital in the world at one time and um, in Georgia for a long time. And um, it's closed down now, but it's still a fascinating place to go visit and see some of the old buildings there. It was built in the 1800s. Very interesting. I was going to ask you more about Flannery O'Connor because obviously she's the most famous writer to come out of Milledgeville apart from you. Um, <laughs> how is she remembered there and what's her influence on the place? Well, I think her influence is is very much felt. Um, I mean, people talk about her a lot here. Um, people, you can go visit her farm. Andalusia is just probably about fifteen minutes from where I live here. Um, and Georgia College, I think, owns it now. And you can go out there and see where she lived and see a lot of the places that influenced her work. Um, a lot of her stories take place right there at Andalusia. And uh, or at a farm very much like that, and so it's uh, it's really interesting to go. You can see the barn where maybe uh, she was inspired uh, to write uh, "Good Country People," <laughs> you know, and, and things like that. So it's really her, her influence is felt and very present here um, with a lot of people who are into literature. And you can visit her grave at Memory Hill Cemetery, which I go there to walk very frequently. In fact, I just went to see her grave last night. Uh, whenever I walk through there, people leave objects on it, coins and all kinds of little tributes and things like that. So it's always interesting to go by and see what's what's there. One day I saw a, a Barbie doll leg, which is kind of a reference to one of her stories people may know. <laughs> <laughs> She's so interesting. She's such a great American writer. She is. And um, Alice Walker is from Eatonton, Georgia, which is about 20 minutes away. And so uh, and also Joel Chandler Harris was from that area. So this is kind of an interesting area for uh, for Southern literature and for American literature. So interesting. You are an award winning screenwriter. You've written graphic novels and plays and essays. How did you come into the world of arts? Well, I guess I just loved it. Um, you know, things that I enjoyed, I just was inspired by and it made me want to, made me want to try my hand at some different things. And um, I don't know, I've always enjoyed reading and I've always enjoyed drawing. And I've started to get into, um, you know, 
photography to some extent. Of course, I use my phone camera a lot, but uh, this is an interesting place to go around and take photographs. You never know where you might see something interesting. So I'm glad to have, have a way to kind of record that and share that with people. What other mediums do you use for your art? I like to do, well, I like painting and I like, um, like I said, drawing. Um, I do a lot of crafts. I love decoupage, kind of collage and decoupage is one of my favorite things. Um, and also Flannery O'Connor said that she thought that a lot of people, she knew a lot of writers who like to paint. And she said, not because they were that good at painting, but because when you paint or draw, it makes you look at things closer and kind of notice details. And she started out as a cartoonist and then she kind of switched to writing. So I think that's really interesting about her too. Hmm. Let's move on to Poser. That's coming out very shortly through Outcast. At its heart is a struggling drug dealer called Ambrose. And I guess in a way it starts with a, him giving a blowjob to somebody else at a bar and it kind of uh, goes on from there in lots of different ways. It's a really satisfying read. Do you want to tell us a bit more about it? Thank you. I guess I was inspired to write that. Um, I used to go out to Palo Alto. My husband was teaching uh, at a summer camp uh, at Stanford. And um, we would go out there. We went out there for several summers. And I just fell in love with that whole area. I just found it really interesting and fascinating. And, um, you know, Northern California, and especially Palo Alto, San Francisco, and the Bay Area. And I used to walk around in some of the neighborhoods um, near the college and just some of the things I would see. I remember this one image, I was walking one evening and I saw in the backyard, I was just kind of passing by this house. There are a lot of pretty houses back there. And I saw this, uh, someone sitting on a patio uh, under a patio umbrella and they had like a, a martini or drink sitting on the table in front of them. And I couldn't even see who the person was, if it was a man or a woman or what. But I just thought that is such a cool image. And I, it just kind of stuck in my mind. And I thought there's a story there somehow. I just want to write a story that somehow has that in it. And, um, and so that kind of started. And I got the, I kind of, it, it was kind of percolating for about a year. And the next summer when I came out there, I thought while I'm here, uh, I really need to, to write this story and, you know, get it done while I'm here and while I'm kind of in these surroundings. And so that's what I did. And then I, um, I made it into a screenplay and I worked on it for a long time. And I thought, well, there's a story, but it, it seems to need more. There's some other stuff, you know, that could go into it. And it was through writing, you know, then I, I decided to adapt it into a TV series. I thought maybe that's a way to incorporate, you know, more characters and storylines. And then um, I did NaNoWriteMo. I don't know, you've probably heard of that, where it's a uh, National Novel Writing Month through the month of November. A lot of writers participate in that as a way to kind of just get, at least get a rough draft uh, or 50,000 words of a novel during the month of November. And I thought, I'm going to do that. I'm going to use that to make me, you know, write the novel of it. And um, I had 50,000 words and I, I made the deadline, but I still had a lot more story. Um, and so um, it was getting kind of long and that's why I decided to make it into a series because I could tell that it, it would go on, you know, beyond um, the first novel. Um, and so that's how I kind of got into the, the novel writing part of it and then made it, decided to make it into a series. Okay, so there's going to be more Ambrose to come? Yes, there'll be more Ambrose to come. 
Oh, interesting. <laughs> so I guess, do you want to give us a bit more of the setup of the novel and how, I guess, Ambrose starts in that novel? Because he just kind of, uh, he starts, he's always in trouble and he's got a few people that help him out, some of them who really probably don't help him out as much as they could. But um, yeah. give us a, bit of the, a little bit of the setup. Well, I mean, he runs away from an abusive home in Texas and he kind of ends up in San Francisco and his brother is incarcerated back in Texas and has kind of tried to help him, you know, in a way, um, hook up with somebody else out there. And that's who he runs afoul, you know, of his wicked connection out there. And that's how he ends up running from him that he, uh, his friend Benny, who he kind of has a crush on, but she's in a relationship and she's, she seems not that interested in him except as a friend. And she tries to help him out. But then, you know, at the last minute, she tells him, oh yeah, I told my sister that, um, that you're a, a, a student here at Stanford. So pretend to be that and, uh, you know, everything will be fine. I thought she'd be more likely to let you stay here with her uh, or in her guest house if, um, you know, if we tell her that. And so he's got, you know, he's already stressed out, freaked out. A lot of bad stuff's happened to him. And then he has this additional stress of trying to maintain this identity that he really doesn't even know how to carry off, but he has to kind of do it, you know, think on his feet. Um, and that kind of leads to a lot of other stressful situations. So it's just, he kind of goes from crisis to crisis in that way. Um, and then he encounters some other people who, you know, kind of are having their own problems and issues um, and gets entangled with them. So it's just uh, the drama ensues from that. <laughs> He's like a magnet for trouble. He's like a lightning rod. <laughs> he does get beaten up multiple times, doesn't he? He does. He gets beaten up, robbed, um, you know, dissed on. I mean, <laughs> he does. Uh, and, and in different ways, I guess that'll continue uh, as it goes on. And then, like I said, he gets entangled with other people who are kind of magnets for trouble. And that uh, and, and, he, and by trying to straighten it out, he almost makes it worse. So it's like by trying to control things, he it just it goes wrong you know he's trying to make things right to some extent or at least right for him and it just it just keeps you know going going wrong the more he tries to do that so <laughs> the funny thing is I think at his heart all he wants is just to be a family man and have a really simple life but life just keeps on getting in the way doesn't it it does it keeps on getting in the way um and it's like hey, that thing you hear people, people getting in their own way. I think he does that to a certain extent. But he does really, I mean, when he comes to live in the guest house, he really just wants some peace of mind and he really just wants to be able to rest. He's been on the run for so long and, you know, he just really wants to rest. And then with this setup where he has to pretend to be somebody else, it kind of makes that impossible. And then, you know, even when he thinks he's kind of settled into a little bit of a routine, um, something happens to upset that. So um, that kind of keeps happening. Yeah. But it is a really, really good book and the pre-order should be up very soon. So I think people should go out and, and get it because it's just a, it's a really fun read. I'm really Thank looking you. forward to his future adventures. I think that's a, I didn't realise it was becoming a bit of a series, but yeah, yes. I think it's. The series is called the Eucalyptus Lane Novels. Okay, very good. 
And they're going to be set in Palo Alto, I assume. Yes, yes. Okay, very good. What was, so I know you told me earlier about your trip there. What's the kind of thing that makes you want to keep your novels set there? I don't know. I just found it to be this fascinating place. It's like, it's such a place for the modern and the tech world and things like that. And yet there's so much like it, you know, so much about it. that's like a, like a little old time, small California town. I think there's, there, there, some parts of that are maintained there. Um, and it's just, I just found it. I love going to downtown Palo Alto um, there's an old movie theater down there called you know, Stanford Theater where they show, oh, they only show movies from the golden age of Hollywood. And then they show, uh, there's a little independent theater down there that I used to go to called the Aquarius. I hope it's still there. It's a little, uh, was a landmark theater. Uh, but they show a lot of art house films and things like that. And I just used to love the vibe of walking around that part of town. And um and then walking down Palm Drive, you know, going to Stanford. And um, it's just, I find it a really fascinating place. I love the weather out there. Uh, and then San Francisco, of course, is so close and lots of other little interesting small towns as well. I just didn't, I, I like that whole area. You're going to move on to, to working on this next book in the series. Are there other things you're working on as well? Yes. Um, I had written a while back. I'm really interested in... Um, Hollywood of the silent era and I used to teach a course uh, at Tulane called um, Art and Craft of Film and I was getting ready to do a lecture on uh, Sunset Boulevard and we were talking about film noir and I was looking up some information on Sunset Boulevard and all the the kind of the principal actors and, and characters and I found some stuff on Eric von Stroheim, the director, the silent film director and actor. He plays the butler in Sunset Boulevard. He plays Max. And I was, uh, I found some information on his life and I just became fascinated with him. And um, I wrote a screenplay about him, kind of about his life and times and experience in Hollywood. And I wrote a novel about that. So um, I want to go back kind of between, uh, uh, I guess, episodes of Poser, I want to go back and revisit uh, the novel I had written about him and uh, kind of revise that and work on that some more. Wow. So that's one of the things. So many things on the go. It's amazing. <laughs> and um, I have another screenplay, too, that I want to uh, kind of well, I had adapted it into a novel as well. And then some of my graphic novels are adapted from some of my screenplays. There's one called Uptowners, which is set in contemporary New Orleans. And there's a sequel to that called Queensgate, which is set in um, contemporary London. And then I have one that's a, it's a gay teen romance. It's a, um, set in the 1950s in the rural South called Piano Lessons. Um, and that was a screenplay that I had adapted into a graphic novel as well. You find it easier going from something like a screenplay because there's the visual elements to 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 moving that to a graphic novel or a, or a regular novel. I do, I do. I find going from screenplay to graphic novel um, much, much, much easier. It's like directing it on paper, kind of, mm. you know, and setting up shots and scenes and things like that. Um, and it's a lot harder to go from that to a prose novel. It's it's a whole different thing and you really have to think of it just a different way almost like starting over um you know you have the the sketch the outline the plot and things like that 
Um, but you, there's so much more you have to go into, you know, people's thoughts, feelings, flashbacks, things that you can do in a novel. It's just different in a you know, screenplay. It's totally different forms. And I had started um, trying to adapt some of my screenplays to stage plays as well. Um, I was at Austin Film Festival one year and there was a whole panel on that. And they were talking about playwriting and someone said, well, you should, I was talking to um, one of the panelists there said, oh, you should adapt. Um, I think it was uh, going back to Poser, which when it was a screenplay, the title was Arcadia. And they said, oh, you should adapt it into a stage play, which I set out to try to do, but I found it really difficult. And um, there's a way to do it, I'm sure, but I just found it really difficult. And I'm glad I adapted it into a novel. And it's not that it wouldn't be you know, interesting as a stage play in many ways, but I think the novel form is best for, for it. Would you like to see your work adapted for screen? Yes. I used to think in terms of feature film, but now I, I it, well, it was through trying to adapt uh, Poser uh, as a TV series um, where I really, things really caught on fire as far as creating some other characters and it went on from there and it just, uh, that kind of, I don't know how that just inspired me to find like, I don't know if you remember the character Randy mm. in the novel. Um, there was no Randy before and it was through doing the teaser that you would do for a, uh, for a TV series that I kind of came up with this with the character of Randy in a way. And um, it went on from there. And, um, and from, from that, the more, the more I would go in the novel, um, some other characters would kind of come to me <laughs> in some different ways. Um, and so, you know, it just, I don't know, it's like where you get inspiration, kind of one thing leads to another and you start to make connections and then things start to gel from there. It's amazing how that happens. I don't, it's hard to explain, but, uh, but that's kind of how it just goes on from there. Very interesting. All right, let's move on to your gateway books, the books that opened up the world of literature for you. Oh, wow. Well, I guess when I was much younger, this may uh, let people know <laughs> my age, <laughs> but um, I'm a, I was a fan when I was growing up of those novels by Judy Bloom, uh, which kind of refreshingly honest uh, uh, young adult novels, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, and books like Blubber um, and some like that. Um, I was a big fan of those. And um, that kind of helped me get started. And then there were some that I would just hear maybe people quote from or that they would I would hear older people talk about that made me want to go read them. Um, the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, um, you know, <laughs> was one that I read as a when I was really young that kind of stuck with me. Um, I'm trying to think of some others, but those are those are some of the original ones. I, I read every book I could find about horses. I was one of those girls. I love to read horse books, um, all the Walter Farley novels, um, and kind of going on from there. There are lots of other books, but um, those are kind of the ones that as a as a kid and as a young person got me started. Um, and those are and then when I got to college I found out about um writers the new journalist writers 
um, I became a big fan of writers like Hunter S. Thompson, Tom Wolfe, um, and let me see some others. The Beat authors, I became a big fan of the Beats. And Henry Miller made a big impact on me when I was in college. I started reading Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn, um, anything I could find by him. There are lots of others, uh, other books of his that I want to go back and read, but those are some of the ones that got me started. Um, and it just kind of went on from there. Oh, William S. Burroughs was, in well, I said the Beats, but that's another person that's I think is on my, my top 10 for later. Okay. <laughs> Do you have some films that I guess uh, did the same kind of thing for you creatively? Yes, I do have some favorite films. And um, on my blog, uh, sometimes I'll write about films that uh, I kind of started this thing, what I learned from watching. And it's based on um, films that I've watched over and over and over and over. And many times with my classes, I left to hear what people think about them. Sunset Boulevard is one of my all-time favorite films. Um, and also um, some that I've watched over and over. And it seems like I never get tired of watching them because every time I see them, I tend to see something new or different that maybe I hadn't noticed before, or maybe maybe I'm just at a certain time in my life where it hits me in a different way. Um, Run, Lola, Run from the 90s is one of my very favorite films. Um, I actually saw that when I was in Palo Alto at the Aquarius Theater um, years ago. Um, Citizen Kane is one of my favorites. Um, Bonnie and Clyde, the uh, 1967 version with uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway is one of my favorite films. Um, and there are lots of others, I'm sure, but those are some of the ones that, that I've watched over and over and over that uh, I just, yeah, I, I tend to think about them a lot and things from them, little scenes from them, little quotes, you know, and things like that. Those are some of my very favorites. Are there any directors or screenwriters that you would go straight out and watch their films? Wow. Well, I like the films of David Lynch. Um, I don't always totally understand them right when I see them, but I, I tend to think about them afterwards. Um, I do like the films of Billy Wilder, um, you know, like Sunset Boulevard. Um, screenwriters, let me see. It's hard for me to think of a name right now but um I'm pretty open to you know to different writers different directors um and you know I feel like there's a lot I can learn from them I like to read you know articles by different screenwriters um Quentin Tarantino I think is an excellent screenwriter and I love to hear what he says about screenwriting and that process um so those are some that I tend to think of Okay, let's talk about the books you're currently reading and the books you're looking forward to reading this year. Well, I had started, I had just started reading several books and then um, I teach at a community college here and kind of final grades had to be in and I, I kind of had to, to uh, put my books aside for just a, a brief period, but some of the ones I'm reading to finish up and do reviews uh, during the break before I start back um, were Sean McCallum's um, the recalcitrant stuff of life. I'm reading some Duvet Knox books on Soul Collector and The Pussy Detective. Um, and I'm looking forward to some of the other Outcast books. Um, I believe it's, let's see, 
the uh, the one by I believe it's Austin Davis and yeah. um, Jack Moody. I think you had on not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Cody Sexton has a new book out that I'm looking forward to. I just finished reading the new um, anthology or the recent anthology um, in Filth It Shall Be Found uh, from Outcast, which I found really fascinating and. It in reading it, in the process of reading it, it kind of crystallized some things for me about um, maybe the way I feel about transgressive fiction and about the carnivalesque in fiction uh, and in stories, which I'll be probably I'm going to be thinking about some more in the new year um, and how that applies to literature. And so I'm excited to, to learn more about that. I hadn't thought about that idea very much. Uh, it, was, it was a Bakhtinian idea of the carnivalesque and how it works in literature kind of on a deeper level. But that uh, that got me thinking about it, kind of um, made me want to do some more thinking on that. Outcasts are doing some really interesting stuff, I think, at the moment. I guess the this whole idea of transgressive literature, I'm not sure if I completely understand what it is do you have an idea of what it is well I kind of I think a lot of people do I think even the Sebastian Weiss at Outcast has said a lot of people tend to stumble on it but I was kind of having a bit of a hard time figuring out well what genre like uh, I knew Poser I had thought of it as noir fiction to some extent I mean it's fiction but it, I mean just it's kind of having elements of noir but I thought well you know there's something else, maybe where does it fit in? And when, um, you know, I came across this post um, by Sebastian, I think he had tweeted a, a blog post by Natalie Nieder, who's now with Outcast, about what, transfi- what transgressive fiction is, maybe and what it isn't. And it helped me to kind of think, wow, that's what I'm doing. And it's kind of about characters who maybe they don't fit into the, the mainstream and they kind of find, you know, I think some definitions say maybe illicit ways of trying to deal with things in society or things that, you know, they're kind of run up against. And I thought, wow, there's something clicked. And I thought, you know, that that must be what I'm doing. I didn't even really realize it. And so it's not like I set out to write. I'm going to write transgressive uh, piece of transgressive fiction with this novel. But I think that's what after it was done that I realized that's what it is. And now when I look at some of the other fiction that has really meant a lot to me and that I've, I've really um, been inspired by and enjoyed a lot, like, um, you know, Henry Miller, William S. Burroughs and some of the other um, authors maybe that one might take a look at alongside them, that that's, that's a lot of what they're doing. Um, and I'm glad to learn more about it. it. It really, it's helped me a lot to kind of place my work and maybe, um, you know, where I fit in as a writer, and that that really means a lot to me. And I think some of my screenplays have had those elements as well, um, to a large extent. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero and come back with Nevada's Top 10. Do you need rapid antigen testing but can't find any in stock? Why not try the George Orwell rat test instead? available from your local dystopia. We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time for Nevada's Top 10. 
this was hard <laughs> to think of top 10 because there's, I mean, um, you know, going back and, and thinking, then the more I think about some books, the more I think, oh, well, then there's another one by them that I like. Um, <laughs> but one of the ones, oh, just going back briefly too, to when you had asked me about some of my gateway fiction, um, this was one of them that um, I could mention. Um, the Member of the Wedding by Carson McCullers, which is about kind of a coming of age novel about a young girl in Georgia in the South in the 1940s, um, Frankie Adams. And she has trouble, a lot of trouble figuring out where she fits into the world. And it's kind of a, a painful coming of age, but, um, but this novel meant a lot to me. And I think I read it multiple times as I was uh, growing up. Um, but The Member of the Wedding, um, it was adapted into a film. The, uh, the actress who played Frankie Adams was Julie Harris. The Complete Stories of Flannery O'Connor is another one that I like. Um, Have you got course, a top I mean, story by Flannery O'Connor? My your... top story is A Good Man is Hard to Find. Yeah. <laughs> um, How Proust Can Change Your Life. I had mentioned this one in an earlier interview, too. And I admit, now, interest of full disclosure, I haven't read um, Proust, but, which sounds weird, but I, I, I do plan to read him this year. But I like the books of Elaine de Botton, and this is uh, the philosopher, and this is one of his uh, books that I read several years ago, and I still think of quotes from it. I still think of, uh, you know, ideas from it uh, frequently. Um, about just the, the compassion that Proust had for people um, and, you know, just how he liked to read the newspaper. And even if he'd read a horrible, like a crime story in the newspaper, he wouldn't just say, oh, that's horrible, you know, toss it aside. He would think, you know, wow, I wonder what made that person do that um, and things like that. So there are a lot of uh, interesting ideas. It's like a combination, literary, biography, and self-help book. But um, that's one that I find memorable. And like I said, I do plan to read uh, read some Proust this year. That's a New Year's resolution. Where are you going to start and with Proust? I'm going to start with um, his remembrance of things past. You know, that thing with the, a cup of tea. And I'll have to drink a cup of tea and eat a madeleine and see if that takes me <laughs> back to memories of the past. As I <laughs> um, and then also I Fatty is one that I remember uh, by Jerry Stahl. Remember I said that... Um, I'm really interested in silent era Hollywood. And this is about the life of Fatty Arbuckle. And I found it really interesting. And it talks about a lot of other figures from silent uh, Hollywood. And another one that I really liked, I had read a lot about, about it and it kind of made me want to read the book was The Deer Park by Norman Mailer, which is kind of a novel about Hollywood in the, in the, 50s kind of during the House on American Activities Committee hearings um, and I found that to be a really fascinating novel in many ways. Um, another one is McTeague which uh, by Frank Norris is a, it's a novel about San Francisco probably in the teens and 20s um, maybe more the teens but uh, 19 teens um, but it's the one that Eric von Stroheim adapted that novel into a film called Greed. And there's a lot of interesting stuff in the novel. And um, it's, it, it's about this man who um, 
he grows up in a mining, kind of a mining community, and he learns enough about how to become a dentist or how to do dental work that he, he opens up a dentist office in San Francisco, and um, he, he gets involved with this woman. He falls in love with this woman and marries her, and she wins the lottery, and um, it's like she instead of spending that money she hoards it um and then uh the this cousin um gets really jealous of their success and decides to uh cause a lot of trouble for McTeague you know not being a yes he's kind of a poser as a dentist but it gets him in a lot of trouble but it goes on from there just the trouble that um almost like this lottery could be a blessing but it turns out to be a curse just in many ways in their lives um and let's see, Colossus of Marusi is a book by Henry Miller that I really like. Um, it's about his travels in Greece. Um, and as much as I love like Tropic of Cancer and some of his other novels, Colossus of Marusi is kind of a different side of Miller than I had seen. And so I think some, some critics like it, some don't, some readers like it, some don't. Um, it is kind of different from his regular stuff. Some people call it one of the best travel books um, yet written, um, but it just, there's a lot, I think a lot of insight in it that I really found fascinating about Henry Miller. And another one, just going back to Stroheim again, Eric von Stroheim, um, there's a novel called Stroheim. I mean, not a novel, it's a, this one's a biography because I am a big fan of biography. Um, by Arthur Lennig, because there are several biographies about von Stroheim, but he tended to make up stuff, you know, in the days before computers and when people could could check on things, um, he, he made up kind of this persona for himself and added von to his name and things like that. And um, he told a lot of stories about himself when he first came to Hollywood, you know, to, to kind of get ahead. And it's hard to separate fact from fiction. And this, um, this uh, historian, Arthur Lennig, kind of went back and, and did that, separated the fact from fiction. And um, so that was really uh, interesting. And a lot of uh, stories about Stroheim's experience in Hollywood, um, you know, getting fired from every major studio um, and all the different things that happened. Um, Junkie was, I think, one of the first books I read by uh, William S. Burroughs, and that's on my top 10 list. And then, of course, Naked Lunch I like too, but, uh, but Junkie was, I think, my first um, experience reading Burroughs. And then um, I like the work of Anna Eastman, but there's, uh, going back to literary biography again, um, there's a book about Anna Eastman, which I find really fascinating. Um, I think it's just called Anna East Nin, but it's by Deidre Bear. And um, I, I still remember things from that and, and think about that sometimes. And um, I do want to go back and read more writings by Anna East Nin, but the story of her life is just fascinating. Uh, frustrating, but fascinating. <laughs> and so like it, like with a lot of writers, I guess. So um, but those are those are some of my top 10. Very interesting list. Well, I want to talk to you a bit more about the Norman Mailer because I think the Deer Park is a, is a really great uh, under, I don't know, underappreciated novel. It's really interesting though, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I think it is underappreciated. Um, you know, I like his book, Armies of the Night. I read that, mm -hmm. I think maybe last summer. Um, but the Deer Park, um, 
don't know. I, I just, yeah, I, I guess it's kind of, it could be based on some actual people in Hollywood, I'm sure at the time. Um, but the element of this thing of you could be at a party and, you know, someone might take you in, like with the, the paranoia just rampant in Hollywood at the time with the House on American Activities Committee and things like that, um, that you could be somewhere and someone could pull you aside and ask you questions about someone else and their political beliefs. And, you know, just uh, I can see how there was a pervasive sense of paranoia in Hollywood at that time. And I think it kind of it captures that. Um, and just kind of the, some of the things about celebrity culture, I guess, that we're more used to now, um, you can see the beginnings of that, you know, like where there's this index with fame and you know, all this kind of thing. I just thought, oh, you know, that was it was really interesting. And I, I think I think more people should read it. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it's funny with early Mailer because I think the Barbary Shaw and, and the Deer Park really don't get any love. And then you move on to something like An American Dream, which I think was his fourth book, and mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a great book as well. But, yeah, like it's funny with that because after Naked and the Dead, he, I think he struggled a bit in, the, in mm-hmm. those years. I think he did, and I think he, he, he tried different. I mean, I think he wanted to, to try different things, I think, that, which I haven't read this one, but I've read about it and I want to read it because I'm interested in um, – in, in ancient Egypt and that, but um, ancient evenings, I think he was, he's mm. been taken to task, I think, for some of his efforts. And I think that he really did try to try to understand um, things about the culture and that were going on around him. Um, and even his controversial essay, I think the white Negro, um, which, you know, the beats, I think he was trying to understand what the beat writers were all about. And um, I think it was Jack Kerouac and some of the beats were like, no, you don't get it. You know? <laughs> um, but he was, but I think he was trying and I think he acknowledged, okay, well, maybe I don't, but I know there's, there's something going on here, you know, with this kind of new wave of writers and he was trying to get a handle on what they were doing. I think, you know, he, he made that effort. I thought that was, you know, interesting that he's like okay well I know but I'm I'm trying you know to get what you're doing Uh, because a lot of critics didn't get what they were doing until the 1970s it took like another you know 20 years um, before these things started to be thought of as literature and not just as I guess was it Truman Capote said those aren't writing those are just typing you know their works (laughs) interesting all right well I might wrap it up with you in a minute um before we do, when people want to go out and buy Posa, um, where should they go and, and buy it? They can buy it. Um, it'll be available through Amazon and through Outcast and um, I believe through Barnes and Noble. Um, and, you know, it, it can even if a bookstore doesn't have it, I think they can they can order it um, probably through Ingram. So and the pre-orders should be starting very soon. Yes, very soon. Now, when we want to go and look up your graphic novels and your screenplays and your blog, where should people go? Uh, they can go to my website, um, www.nevada-mcpherson.com. And my graphic novels are available on Amazon. Um, they're, let's see, Uptowners, Queensgate Part 1, and Piano Lessons are available in print. And then... Um, all of them are available in ebooks, including Queensgate Part Two, and I'm anticipating a Part Three that I've started working on. That's another thing that I'll be working on. Some more um, coming up. Um, so, 
So that's that's available on Amazon. Excellent. Well, I encourage everybody to go out and read Poser and check out your other work. It's really um, Poser was fantastic, and I'm looking forward to to having a look at your graphic novels. Thank you. They're very they're hand drawn, um, and uh, you know the first one I was kind of learning, but I. I chose to do that one set in New Orleans first because I was walking around New Orleans. It was stuff I see kind of every day and then all, and I wanted to try to draw it. And so that was where um, I kind of got back into drawing after many years. Um, and so it's kind of like the the early version of, you know, the Simpsons when you watch the very first ones and they look <laughs> different than the ones now. That That's kind of how it is. <laughs> so my style kind of evolved over time a little bit more with my drawing. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck with continuing the Poser series. I think it'll be great to, to keep following up with Ambrose and your other characters. And Thank thanks you. so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Ben. I enjoyed it. Thanks once again to Nevada McPherson. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BeyondZeroPod, and you can email us at beyondthezeropod at gmail.com. We'll be back for your next episode next week.